I invite you to take God's word and turn with me uh, to the book of Colossians. And when you find Colossians, I'd like for you to find chapter 3, and we're only going to look here at the beginning at one verse, and it's verse number 16. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to follow along in the screens that are behind me as the scripture will be available for you there. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Well, we are continuing this morning our series of sermons here on Sundays entitled Core Convictions. Core convictions are how our theology as a church and our motives as a congregation express themselves practically. We have our theology, the framework of doctrine by which we preach and teach. We have our motives, which is our mission. We glorify God. We exalt His gospel. The the core convictions that we are laying out is how those things practically express themselves. And so far in this series, we're halfway done, by the way, we've looked at five different core convictions. We've looked at meaningful membership. We've looked at gathering together. We looked at expository preaching, we've looked at disciple making, and then last Sunday we looked at the fifth core conviction, and that is gospel centrality. Uh, This morning we look at the sixth core conviction of our church, of how our theology and our motives express itself practically, and one of the ways that our theology and motives are expressed practically is through congregational singing. Congregational singing. That is the sixth core conviction of our church. Congregational singing. And as I have done with each one of these core convictions, I again want to share with you a a subtitle of what we mean when we say congregational singing. You'll see this uh, on the screen. Congregational singing. That is, we raise our voices together in song with music that is singable, words that are theologically rich, and with responsive hearts to the glory and grace of God. This is congregational singing, and this is its emphasis in our church family. We come together each week to raise our voices together with songs, music that is singable, words that are theologically rich, and with hearts that respond to the glory and grace of God. Now, singing is only one component of our corporate worship. It's only one. In other words, someone might say, the worship was really good today. And what they most likely mean by that is that the, the singing or the, or the music was really good. However, in the Bible, corporate worship involves several components, not just music. And these components have been prescribed by God for how the church is to engage with Him and one another. Now, as a reminder, we've already looked at gathering together, but let me just remind you this morning that the reason God gathers His people together in one place is so that we can together exalt Him and together edify one another and together evangelize sinners. So the structures and the liturgies of our worship gatherings are to reflect those reasons through the directives that He has prescribed for us. For instance, When we come together in corporate worship, corporate worship involves a lot of things. It involves 
the reading and preaching of the Word of God. That is worship. I am right now worshiping by reading and preaching the Word of God. You worship when you read the Word of God, when you listen to the preaching of God's Word. It is a component of corporate worship. So we, we come together to read and preach the Word of God. We, we come together to pray with and for one another, James chapter 5. Uh, we come together to observe the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, Romans chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We come together to give the first fruits of our financial increase back to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And, and we come together to sing with each other. To sing with each other. All of these components make up the worship of a church gathering. And By these things, we are serving one another, we are exalting the gospel of Christ, and we are glorifying God together. But today, I want to zero in on the component of singing in our corporate worship. Now, through the core conviction, all of these things we are dealing with, we've already to a large degree dealt with the reading and preaching of the Bible. We will soon deal with the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We, we're dealing with all of these things. So, so today, we want to zero in on the component of singing, more, more specifically, congregational singing. So what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of scriptural observations We're then going to expound Colossians 3.16, and at the end, we'll look at some very practical implications of this core conviction on our church here at Laurel. So so by way of scriptural observation, before we get to Colossians chapter 3, let me just make two biblical observations that help us with this idea of congregational singing. Uh, Number one, we are all commanded to sing. That's the first scriptural observation that we have. We are all, all, okay, we are all commanded to sing. There are over 50 direct commands in the Bible for us to sing. And singing is mentioned over 400 times in Scripture. Over and over again, we see commands such as found in Psalm 96.1 that says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. We are all commanded to sing. And we are commanded to sing, think about this, because God himself sings. You ever thought about God singing? Well, it's true. He does. Zephaniah Chapter 3 and verse 17 says, The Lord God in your midst, the mighty one, he will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Think about that. God rejoices over you. He rejoices over me with singing. God is never ashamed to rejoice over us with singing. Why is it then that some are so shy about rejoicing over Him with singing? If for any other reason, we ought to lift up our voices in song to God because we know that in heaven, God is rejoicing over us with singing. I think one day we'll hear that song. And what we're doing here on earth in this corporate gathering today is lifting our voice to the Lord because of His voice being lifted up over us. Psalm 150, we think about the command to sing. The Bible says, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. 
praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dancing. Praise him with string instruments and flutes. Praise him with, hey, loud cymbals. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. That is not a suggestion, friends. That is a command. We are all commanded to sing. That's the first scriptural observation that we have. Here's the second scriptural observation that I want you to make note of before we get to Colossians 3. And that is Christian singing at its core is congregational singing. Christian singing at its core is congregational singing. We have a pattern throughout the Bible showing us that God's people gathered to sing together. Muslims don't do this. Neither do Hindus or Buddhists. But Christians do. And we do it most notably to the glory of God when we do it together, congregationally. Ephesians 5.19, which is the sister text to the one that we read this morning, Colossians 3.16, it says, I want you to speak to one another, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You see, singing in the corporate gathering, that is, was never intended to be one-dimensional or it was never intended to highlight the talented few. It is designed to include every voice that is gathered together. And it's amazing how far off base we get with this idea in it when it involves our corporate worship. I don't know why I often think about it, but there was a church that I used to preach for every year. I mean, every year I would go there, sometimes multiple times a year. And every time, I'd, I'm not talking about, I'm not just talking about a little bit. I mean, I've preached there probably 20 different times. And every time I go, the same person, the same person every single time is standing on the platform singing the special song. The same person every single time. It was, their voice was highlighted. Their skill was uplifted. But very little emphasis was put on the congregation singing together. Listen to me very carefully. God never intended, in the scripture that is, for music to be one-dimensional. To highlight just one person or one trio or one quartet. You see... The choir of the Old Testament became the congregation of the New Testament. God wants all of us to sing together. Because it's the way that the church together expresses our faith in the gospel. It's a way that the church remembers our unity together in the gospel. It's a way that every member of the church can contribute to the ministry of the gospel in our gatherings. What I mean by that is not all will preach today and not all will lead in prayer today, but all can and should sing today as we exalt the Lord's gospel. You've heard me often say that the most beautiful instrument in our church among the many we have and desire to add, the most beautiful instrument in our church is still the sound of our voices singing together. And God has designed it to be this way. Congregational singing at its core is Christian singing. That's what Christian singing is. It's when God's people come together and sing together. So, so with those observations in mind, biblical observations, by the way, that's what the Scripture shows us. 
that we're all commanded to sing, and at the core of Christian singing is congregational singing. With those biblical observations in mind, let's, let's now go to our text and see clearly what God has said about the priority of congregational singing. And you'll be happy to know that there's only two points this morning. I recognize that some of my sermons are pointless, but I have two. I have two this morning. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3, here's the first one that I want you to see as we consider this core conviction of congregational singing. Number one, uh, we sing together as an act of worship from the heart to the Lord. All right? That's the first thing that we see. We sing together as an act of worship from the heart to the Lord. Now, look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here it is. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, so first and foremost, we sing together as an act of worship from the heart to the Lord. From the heart to the Lord. And if you can't tell, I'm trying to emphasize that. Singing is from the heart to the Lord. It's from the heart to the Lord. In other words, God is the primary focus. We sing about him, we sing for him, and we sing to him. Remember the verse that I quoted just a few minutes ago from Psalm 96.1. Sing to the Lord. Three times he says it in the one verse. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. He is the first and primary audience. And because this is to be true of our congregational singing... We must ensure that our singing, as Paul says in Colossians 3.16, that our singing is from the heart. Because he is our first and primary audience, we must ensure that our singing is from the heart. So again, Paul here in Colossians gives us two attributes that must be in our hearts in order for singing to be from the heart. Okay? If singing is going to be from the heart as an act of worship to the Lord, then there's something that the Bible says has to be in our hearts. Two attributes. The first one is grace. Grace. It's clear, isn't it? Singing with grace in your hearts. Not singing with talent. Singing with bravado. No, no, no. Sing with Grace in your hearts. God's grace. The grace of his glorious salvation. You see, Christian singing reflects a heart that is being transformed by God's grace. That's why we sing to him. In fact, that may be why some don't sing to him. Because in order to sing to the Lord from the heart, there's something that has to be in the heart first. And that is grace. God's grace. God's transformative grace. God's redeeming grace. God's saving grace. And because His grace is in our hearts, we join with others who also have the grace of God in their hearts. And together we sing with all our hearts to the Lord. That's the principle of congregational singing. God's grace is in my heart. God's grace is in your heart. And so we come together on Sunday and we come together on Wednesday. And actually, anytime we come together because God's grace is shared in our hearts, we sing with all of our hearts in worship together. Together to the Lord. And so grace must be in our hearts. That is, if we are going to sing from the heart to the Lord. Here's the other thing that must be in our hearts in order for singing to be from the heart. We see it again in verse 16. It's not only grace, but also the Word of God. The Word of God. 
You have to read every line in the Bible within the context of which, is, which, is, which it is given. Singing here is in the context of the Word of God. Look at it there. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Dwell in you. Dwell in your heart. Let the heart where grace is. Let the Word of God dwell in your heart. And let it dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Why? Because it is from there, from the Word of God, that we can then sing from the heart true psalms and true hymns and true spiritual songs. So God's Word is to dwell in our hearts richly as we sing together. God's grace is to be in our hearts God's Word is to be in our hearts. It's to be in our hearts richly. We, in other words, we, we don't want to sing a song that can't be backed up by Scripture. We don't sing songs that are based around our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts exclusively. Exclusively. That, that doesn't mean that when we sing, that we don't ever get emotionally involved. In fact, singing is how we take the emotion of the Bible and express it outwardly. That's what singing does. So, yes, singing involves how we feel. Singing involves our emotions. Singing involves our thoughts, but not exclusively. And especially not separated from what we know to be true about God and His Word. No, no, no. Our singing must come from the Word of God. Every verse we sing, every line we sing, every chorus that we sing ought to be intentionally biblical. Intentionally biblical. The key word here is richly. Richly. Don't miss that. When you sing, may your song be from a heart where the Word of God richly dwells. Richly dwells. So think about this. God's Word is the framework of our congregational singing. So because God's Word is the framework of our congregational singing, we must be certain that the songs we sing are richly soaked in Scripture, not lightly dipped. I've heard a lot of Christian music that is just lightly dipped in the Bible. What it is soaked in is us what we want to think is true about God, but not what is actually true or what the Word actually says. That's why there are some songs that you grew up singing in your hymnal <laughs> that we don't sing here. I know you love it, but it ain't biblical. And so we want to be selective about those things. Because what we sing is to come from the Word of God. And it needs to be richly soaked in the Word, not lightly dipped. So it's important that when we sing together as an act of worship from the heart to the Lord, that we sing songs that are Bible-saturated, that are theologically true, and that are gospel-centered. That's what we want our music to be. That's what we ought to sing to our children at home and to each other when we gather. Bible-saturated, theologically true, and gospel-centered music. Because that's what God requires. Congregational singing that is from the heart to the Lord. From hearts where God's grace and God's word dwells. This is so important, church family. Because if... Our songs are not sung to the Lord from a heart filled with grace and Scripture. Then God is frankly 
not pleased by it. It may feel good to us. But if it doesn't come from grace and scripture, it doesn't feel good with him. We have an example of this. In Amos chapter 5, when the people were going through the motions of worship, but yet the worship was not coming from a pure and grace-filled heart, here's what God said to them in Acts 5.23. Take away from me the noise of your songs. <laughs> you ever wanted to knock on your neighbor's door? And say, take away from me the noise of your songs. It is not pleasing to my soul at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> I can tell you a story, but I won't implicate myself. This is what God is saying here. Take away from me the noise of your song, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. No matter how skillfully played it is, no matter how eloquently it is sung, no matter how conservative we may believe it is, if it's not from the heart and it's not theologically true, God does not like it. And so we must be sure that when we sing together, that we do so as an act of worship from the heart to the Lord, a heart that is filled with grace, a heart that is filled with his word, which brings me to my second and last point, and all God's people said, you weren't supposed to say that. <laughs> Number two, we sing together not only as an act of worship from the heart to the Lord, but we sing together as an act of discipleship from the word to one another, all right? We sing also as an act of discipleship from the word to one another. So look right here. We're singing from the heart to God, and we're singing from the word to each other. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Here it is. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So God is our first and primary audience. We've already touched on that. But in the context of corporate worship, the scripture teaches us that he is not the only one that we sing to. We are also taught to sing to one another. Again, I go back to the sister verse of Colossians 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking to one another, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we go back to the point that we've already made that in order for our singing to please God, our songs need to be Bible-saturated, they need to be theologically true, and they need to be gospel-centered. And now that we understand from Scripture that our singing is also to disciple one another, it is even more important that we ensure that the lyrics we sing are once again Bible-saturated, theologically true, and gospel-centered. So what the Bible is teaching us here is take music, Fill the lyrics with truth about God from his word and then sing those songs to disciple each other in our Christian faith. That's what he's saying. Take music, fill those lyrics with truth about God from his word and then sing those songs to disciple each other in our Christian faith. Now, why would we do that? Because singing is a gift from God that enables us to easily write truth on our hearts that we can take with us. In other words, God designed your heart. God designed my heart to be able to capture knowledge through song so that we can carry that knowledge throughout our day and for all our life. 
You don't believe me? You ever get a song stuck in your head? Of course you do. Whether it's something that you heard, a jingle on a television commercial, or, or whatever the case may be. You get a, get a song stuck in your head. And you can't get it out of your head. I mean, you wake up singing it. All of a sudden, you're walking down the hallway whistling it. You're not even aware that you're whistling it. Because that's how God designed music to work. God designed music with the ability to capture knowledge, to write information on our hearts that we can carry with us when we don't have the script before our very eyes. And because music has that unique ability to write a message on our hearts, it's so very important that we make sure that which we are singing, especially together in corporate worship, is Bible-saturated, theologically true, and gospel-centered. I give an example. When someone is on their deathbed, they're not going to remember one point of a sermon I've preached. You probably don't even remember the points of the sermon I preached last Sunday. Now, now they may remember a point if it was exclusively Scripture. The Word of God works in that way. We're not going to remember some antidote, some phrase, some musing that I used to help us in the preaching and teaching of the Bible. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, they will certainly remember a song or a chorus that we sang together to one another in our gatherings time and time again. And, and listen to me, friends. That song will minister to their soul. Why? Because God has used that music of singing it over and over again to each other. They carry it with them throughout their day, throughout their life. And here they are, moments before seeing Jesus face to face. And they remember. I'll never forget when one of our precious members, Laris Brown. You remember Laris? When Laris passed away a couple of years ago. I remember it was on a Sunday night, I believe. might have been a Wednesday night. I, 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 after service, grabbed Keegan, and we went to see her. And when I walked into the bedroom of her house, just right over here in Brookstead, at this point, she was relatively um, unconscious. And she was nonverbal, but she could, she could squeeze the hand. She knew people were there. When I walked in, her sister's had an iPhone out. And I looked on the iPhone. It was the Spotify playlist from our church where you can go and listen to the songs that we sing. Every song we've sung today and will sing is on that Spotify playlist. You can pull it up and listen to it. And here they were just gathered around her bedside moments before she walks into the presence of the Lord and she's singing the songs that we've sung to each other over and over and over again. That is the unique gift of music that God has designed to comfort and strengthen our hearts. You see, congregational singing, it's, it's horizontal, not just vertical. I, I'm singing this morning the truths of God to the person standing next to me. I'm singing it to the person in front of me. I'm singing it to the person behind me. I, I'm showing my daughter who's standing over here what I believe. Listen to me, parents. I'm showing her what I believe by singing passionately in front of her about the vastness of who God is. I'm preaching truth through song to the one in front of me and around me who is who is hurting this morning because they needed to know when they came into this service that Jesus Christ is still their anchor that never moves. Listen to me. Look right here. Songs are sermons. That's what they are. They're sermons, which is why it's so important that we sing the right ones and bury the bad ones. Because when we sing together, we're singing sermons to one another. We're teaching one another. We're encouraging one another. We're comforting one another. We're strengthening one another. 
Songs are sermons because songs teach and shape the way that we view God, the way that we view ourselves, the way that we are to live in light of the gospel. And because this is true, each time we gather together as a church, we need to come ready and excited to sing together because every believer in this room is preaching a sermon every time we gather. It's not just to worship our Lord. It's also to remind each other about the wonderful truths of God that strengthen our faith in Him. Psalm 89, 1. The psalmist said, I will sing. I will sing of the steadfast, the covenant love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known His faithfulness to every generation. You know, that's what you're doing when you're singing in front of your kids and your grandkids. You're making known You're making known the covenant love of God. Now, when we sing together as an act of worship and discipleship, we will inevitably declare the gospel to the lost and perishing among us. Psalm 96 verse 2 says, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, proclaim the good news of His salvation. So here we have proclaiming the good news of His salvation is correlated with our singing corporately when we come together. Do you remember the Philippian jailer of Acts chapter 16? He came to faith in Christ. And subsequently, his family, as a result of Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God. I know they were a captive audience. But here, in their trial, in their suffering, Paul and Silas begin to just sing songs that they always sing when they're together in corporate worship. And as a result, they proclaimed the gospel. And people followed Christ. Again, the passion behind our singing is a sermon about God's salvation to others. When you invite a friend or a family member to worship with us on Sunday... Sometimes, sometimes the best sermon they they will hear is not necessarily the one that I'm declaring to them from the pulpit. It's the one that they see and hear from you when we sing together beside of them. This guy really believes this stuff. Look at him. He hardly says anything at, at work. But he's bellowing out the great faithfulness of God. Oh, it's so important that we come ready and excited to passionately sing and disciple one another in the truths of the Bible. All that we've looked at today is why we emphasize congregational singing. We emphasize it because it's an act of worship from the heart to the Lord. We emphasize it because it is an act of discipleship from the Word to one another. So around here at Laurel, we talk about it. We prioritize it. We model it. We give you resources about it. Every member who joins our church gets a book about singing. I mentioned the Spotify playlist. We're learning new songs all the time. We're singing old ones. We're putting fresh melodies to old choruses. Why? Because it's, it's, it's about what we're doing to disciple each other when we sing. It's not just another part of the service to get us to the preaching. It is preaching. It is discipleship. It's important. And here at Laurel, it's at the heart of who we are. We are a singing church. Hey, Pastor, have you heard me sing? Yes, and it's atrocious. No, I'm kidding. That's what I say about myself. I am not a good singer. I don't know if you ever noticed me over here on Sunday mornings. I sit up here now these days because it's so full. I want to make sure everybody has a seat. And and I'm I'm all the time doing this around the singing time. You ever notice that? I'm doing this. I do this. Where's it at? Right there. I do that. All right. I do that right there. You follow me? And then I turn it back on again. 
Because you don't want to hear me sing. I know I'm supposed to sing to you, but I'm afraid I'm going to mess you up. I'm afraid they might not mute it when they tell me they're muting it. I'm not a very good singer. I'm telling you what, I've been through some things. And singing has meant more to my life in the last two years than it's ever been before. And I've always been around music. I started playing the piano when I was in second grade. Played it all the way until I graduated from high school. I can play the drums. Listen, I can get down with a steady beat. You, you see me. <laughs> hey, you see me after church. We'll have a little jam session together. It's one of, one of the favorite things I love to do with my wife. She gets on the piano. I get on the drums. And we just jam to the lamb, baby. <laughs> I love it. I love music. I love all kinds of music. On Monday morning, sometimes I'm in a Johnny Cash kind of mood. On Tuesday, give me some Taylor Swift, baby. But I understand, I understand that in the passion behind this, God has designed us to magnify Him and exalt Him by coming together, regardless of how good we think we are or how shy we are about it. When I come together with you, I want to encourage you, and I need you to encourage me. And one of the best ways we do that is the rare back and sing from our hearts and from the Word to God and to one another. In fact, one of the most frequent comments I get from those who visit Laurel is just how loud and passionate our congregational singing is. My father, my father-in-law, preachers, every, every, every preacher we had in July came to me and said, I have never heard a church sing like this. That's a testimony to you. By the way, that's not by accident. That's intentional. It's been an intentional part of our ministry for nearly 15 years. And, and that's how I want to close this morning. How do we intentionally emphasize robust, vigorous, congregational singing? All right, let me give you seven things. You might want to write these down. I'm not sure if they're on the screen or not, but here they are, and we're going to pray. Number one, we design our services to highlight congregational singing, not performance. How do we emphasize robust Congregational singing, we design our services to highlight congregational singing, not performance. Now, that doesn't mean that special music is bad. No, we do that. I think it was just last Wednesday or the Wednesday before, Zephanie sang a beautiful message about the cross of Christ as we were participating in the Lord's Supper together. I love that. But that is not the regular routine of our church. We don't come here to be entertained by others' talents. We are participators, not consumers. We contribute to the gospel here. And we contribute to the gospel by highlighting congregational singing. So sure, we love it when Brian sings and Caitlin sings and Zephanie sings. And I got a, I got a bluegrass co group coming in a couple months. It's going to be great. But that's not the regular diet of our church. No, we understand that the regular diet of our church is when we sing together. And that's intentional. That's intentional. So we may not have a special song every service. But what we will have every service is all of our voices singing together. That's intentional. Here's the second thing. We choose music that is singable. And memorable with words that are theologically rich. All right, let me break that down for a moment. We choose music that is first singable. Now, God has gifted women to be able to sing just about on any scale. I've heard some beautiful women sing some tremendous bass notes. <laughs> but they can also go higher than we men can go, right? Now, we're conscious of that. We don't want all of our music that Kathleen designs and picks out for us and we work together on it, her from a skill set standpoint, me from a pastoral standpoint, and Austin just to make sure he can do it. <laughs> We're all working together on these things. 
And when we do, we're not just picking a song because we like it, especially if it's so high we can't sing it. We want the men in our church to be able to sing. And sometimes we have to, we have to pick songs that are singable. Put them in notes and keys that will allow all of us, regardless of our range, to bellow out forth in praise. So, so, so we sing, we choose songs that are singable and memorable is the second word I use here, memorable. Because we want you to take it home with you. Because you may wake up tomorrow morning hurting. And it's going to be great to have that memorable tune of Christ the shore and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. It's memorable. We can sing it with our families. Our family loves to sing together, especially when we're riding down the road. We've been singing, to, one of our favorite groups is City of Light. They just put out a new album this week. We've been singing City of Light this week. So beautiful to hear my kids sing. And you know what? They can sing it. You know, every song, do you, if, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, every song that our kids' choir sings, it's not different than the songs that we sing. That's intentional. Now, I know we grew up on the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. But let's just be honest. As adults, we all get to a point where we just kind of like, yeah, that's a kid's song. No, no. So, so intentionally here at Laurel, what we're teaching them back there on Sundays is what we're doing. So that when our kids come in here, they can just join right in because they're singing the songs that we've already sung. And guess what? We can take it home with us because we're all on the same page. It's memorable, and of course, we've parked on this already. It's theologically rich. Number three, we celebrate old hymns, and we embrace the new ones. We celebrate old hymns, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We sang one of the oldest hymns ever this morning, crown him with many crowns. It's an old hymn. But we're also fixing to sing a brand new one that Sovereign Grace Music wrote called Behold Our God. So we take old ones, we take new ones, we celebrate and use them both. Number four, we plan our singing for both the glad and the sad. We're talking about how we intentionally emphasize robust congregational music. When we're planning our singing, when we're going through the liturgies or the order of services, We're looking at those who are going to come into our congregation happy as a lark. And we're not going to forget those who are walking in despair. That example is given to us in the Bible. You study the Psalms. The majority of the Psalms were sung from a place of darkness. So, so we don't want a hurting believer to come in here on Sunday morning and every song we sing is about gladness and they sit here and think, I, I can't resonate within this, this, this body of people. My, my life is a sham right now. I'm hurting. I'm losing people I love. I'm depressed. There is nothing exciting about my life. So we think about that. And we make sure that when we're choosing songs for our gathering, that we're selecting songs for people who are glad and for people like me who come to church on Sundays often sad. Sad. Everyone at Laurel on Sunday should have a song to sing. Right? Number five, we sing not just because of what God has done, but because of what God will do. So, so what we're trying to do is we're bridging the gap from the past. We look back on what Christ has done and his, and his victory on the cross, and guess what? We sing, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. But we also live in pain and suffering and agony, and we turn on the news turmoil invades our lives. So not only do we sing when we gather about what God has done in the past, we also remember that what we are presently living in is only temporary. So when we come together on Sundays, we think about what God is going to do, how he's going to save us from this wretched life, how one day we will gather around the throne of heaven and we will sing in a perfect glorified body where there is no death, no sin, no sorrow, no suffering. We sing songs that remind us of the past. We sing songs that look forward to the future. 
Number six, we use a variety of instruments that bring glory to God in the diversity of His bestowed gifts. We use a variety of instruments that bring glory to God in the diversity of His bestowed gifts. You can look this up for yourself, but any student of the Bible recognizes that God honored and was pleased with a lot of instruments. A lot of instruments. And so I'm grateful for, for how our band, for lack of a better term, is coming together. And how we want more to be added to that because as we see here, we use a variety of instruments. My, my daughter has brought home from school, gloriously, a clarinet. I'm new to the clarinet. But over the last five days, I've become very familiar with the clarinet. Now, if she learns that thing and wants to use it for the glory of God, then so be it. Let's do it because the Bible celebrates that. And then lastly, number seven, we remember. Think about this. This is where we're done. We remember that our congregational singing is a dress rehearsal for heaven. We remember every time we gather that our congregational singing is a dress rehearsal for heaven. That is every Sunday. Every Sunday is a little glimpse of what we're going to do. For all of eternity. Revelation 14. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters. It's the sound of singing. I heard a sound like a voice roaring of many waters. Like the sound of loud thunder. It was so passionate. So vigorous. So robust. It was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song. No one could learn that song except those who have been redeemed from the earth. John said, behold, I looked, and there was this great multitude. Nobody could number them. They were from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. They were waving palm branches, and they were singing out with a loud voice together. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Salvation belongs to the Lamb. So when we come together on Sundays and Wednesdays, it's a dress rehearsal for what heaven is going to be like. And I wonder as we close this out, do you have that new song in your heart? I'm talking about the song of the redeemed. A song that the angels cannot even sing. A song that people who are still lost and perishing have never understood. But when you come to faith in Christ and you experience his glorious grace, there's a tune that fills your soul that you didn't even know you were capable of bellowing out. Oh, friend, if that is an uncertainty in your life, then in this dress rehearsal for heaven this morning, I hope that you get a little taste of the transformation that grace brings when it comes into our hearts and that you will choose to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior and prepare yourself with that glorious song that we will sing for all of eternity. I am thankful for the intensity of our congregational singing and we're not going to turn that intensity down. This is what God has called us to do from the heart to him and from the word to one another. Let's stand together for prayer.